Uh, let me ask you please to bow as we come now uh, to the scripture. My Father in heaven, uh, I pray for me and for us that uh, you would enable us to hear that which is true. And this truth would uh, find its way deep within our souls, deep within our hearts, our very lives. And it would inform how we think. It would inform our emotions. It would inform our actions in these days and the days to come. Uh, Father, all that we think about when we talk about you, when we try to contemplate who you are, is beyond us. And so I pray uh, that you would help us. Help us to see you more clearly. To love you more dearly and to walk closely with you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 17, please. John chapter 17, please. I want to read again. We've been here the last few weeks, but uh, John 17, verses 20 through 26. I want to take up uh, the rest of verse 24, which we began last week. Sorry, I forgot to say the kids could go. See, you gotta, you got to just know what to do around here. Um, it's not your fault, kids. It's your parents. They're sitting there going, I know you think we should go because we do this every week at this time, but so it's not your fault. <laughs> it's mine. But I'll share it with your parents. John chapter 17 and verse 20. Hear the word of God. Again, Jesus praying. I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. I want again to focus our concentration on verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me, <clears throat> excuse me, because you loved me before the foundation uh, of the world. Um, Jesus is, is praying his will here, his desire, his will for those for whom he's praying. He describes these ones for whom he's praying in a variety of ways. He, 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 he describes them as those the Father has given to him. He describes them as those to whom he gives eternal life. He describes them as those to whom he has given this word concerning the Father, this word of God. He describes them as those who believe this word, who believe, who know that he has been sent by the Father. He describes them as ones who are in the world but not of the world. He describes them as those who uh, will be kept in the Father's name, those who will be given his joy, those who will be kept from the evil one, kept from evil, those who will be and are being sanctified in the truth, by the truth, those who are one, one with each other. Most importantly, he would say, I think one with the apostles, this testimony from generation to generation, those who would be one. And this is his will 
that these for whom he is praying, described variously, these for whom he is praying, he is, it is his will that they be with him and see his glory. And when he says that it's his will, as we mentioned last Sunday, when he says that it's his will, he means that it will be done, that this is the very purpose for which he's come, that they will be with him and see his glory. The way he puts it earlier, as John records it in John chapter 6, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me, will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That sense of being raised on the last day to be in the very presence of Jesus to see his glory. That's his will. That's the reason for which he came. He'll see to it. That will get done. But we also mentioned that this isn't only his will in the sense that it will be accomplished, but it's also his sense of his heart's desire. There's a sense of Jesus pouring out his heart to his Father here. And so we're seeing not just not something just simply an objective act, but something that's subjective, something that's from his very heart. Jesus would have never said, uh, this isn't personal, it's only business. Because for him it really was personal. It dealt with his very person and our very persons. And it was deeply personal to him. If this would not happen, he would be eternally disappointed. And thus he comes to do it because it is of his very heart to do this. And we see that this heart of Jesus, we saw that this heart of Jesus is is the very heart of God. The one who delights in mercy. God delights in giving mercy. He doesn't give mercy begrudgingly. He desires, he delights in giving mercy. He delights doing good to those who fear him, to those who hope in his steadfast love. He delights in them. He doesn't give this begrudgingly. But again, he loves to do it because this is the very nature of his own heart. Uh, He does it all, doing good to his people, as we noticed last Sunday, with all of his heart and soul. He he sings over those who are his because he loves them and cares for them and desires that they know his love and care. We see it in in the rejoicing that the Father does when one who is lost is found. It's genuine. It's real rejoicing, this rejoicing when one who is lost is found. We, we saw it in the story of the prodigal son as the father runs to see his son to, to get him and to clothe him in the family's robe and to put his ring upon his finger. He, he, he runs to him. And we see it in Jesus because he's not like that elder brother. He's not like the elder brother who doesn't go and seek us. He doesn't go and seek that which is lost. But rather, Jesus does go and seek that which is lost because he desires that we be found. He's not like the elder brother who doesn't want to incur any cost for the the prodigal to return. Rather, Jesus does incur cost. He delights to incur cost. It pleased the Father to crush him. And Jesus comes voluntarily to be crushed, to be given for us because he's willing 
joyfully willing to sacrifice on our behalf, to share, to give inheritance to us. And so we see all of this is consistent with the very person of God and the very person of Jesus. The motive for Jesus coming is that God so loved. That's an affection. That's a desire. And so we see that Jesus will do this. He's come to do this. But he comes to do this because it's his heart's desire to do this. Because, in fact, we are loved by him. And this is our hope, of course, to see him and to be with him where he is. Now, the question then is, where is Jesus now? Where is this place? Where are we going to be with him? Well, we know from the scriptures teaching that Jesus is in a place called heaven. Uh, in the book of Acts, in chapter 1, as we uh, make note of Jesus' ascension, Acts chapter 1 and verse 11, Jesus is, 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 uh, has, has been with his disciples um, uh, let me begin with verse 9. And when he, that is, Jesus had said these things, as they were looking on him, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. So, so there he is in this place called heaven. When Stephen... Uh, was being stoned, that is being killed because of the testimony of the sermon that he gave to a group of people. Verse 56 of Acts chapter 7, uh, we read this, and he said, that is Stephen said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Uh, the Apostle Peter, just to tell you this isn't just the, the idea of a few, uh, the Apostle Peter writes in First Peter and chapter 3 and verse uh, 22, Speaking of Jesus, let me begin in verse well, 21, but don't listen to this first expression because it's confusing. Um, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. we talk about that later. Uh, but then this expression, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So there's Jesus in this place called heaven. If you read the book of Revelation, and uh, we don't necessarily have to go there, but in Revelation in chapter 4 and chapter 5, we see this vision of heaven that John has, and he sees a throne, and he sees one sitting on the throne, and he sees the angels, and he sees the elders, and then he sees in this place called heaven near the throne uh, this one who is a lamb as he had been slain. That is the Lord Jesus. So there he is in heaven. Uh, so Jesus is there. Now the question is, where is that? And the short answer is, well, in one sense we don't know. Because we can't see it. Plug heaven into your GPS. And uh, you know, I don't know what it would say. I should do that. There's probably a heaven, Nebraska. Uh, but uh, but, but you know, we, we don't know because we, don't, we can't see it. We can't see that dimension and we know heaven is the place where God is. Heaven is the place where the Lord Jesus is. Uh, it's that place, the very, uh, the very dwelling place uh, of God. Uh, Wayne Grudem, a theologian, puts it like this. He says, heaven is the place where God most fully makes known his presence to bless. Isaiah 66 says that heaven is my throne. So you get this sense that heaven is the place where God dwells. We, we use a little expression, just sort of an idiom in our own language, and we speak of heaven on earth. We say, oh, that was heaven on earth. What do we mean by that? We mean that the very blessing of God 
was present at that moment. Even though people may not have a clue anything what they're saying, but that's just a little expression that we use. They mean that, that there's a sense of the very presence of God. And so where God is, there's this sense, there's a slice of, of heaven. God is there with us, in heaven. So it appears in Scripture that heaven is a distinct place. Jesus said, remember in John chapter 14, that I go to prepare a place for you. He's going to heaven. He's going to prepare a place for us where he is, this place called heaven. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute. Jesus is in heaven. How could he say, I will be with you always? I mean, if he's there... How can he be here? If heaven is a dis- distinct place, how can he be there and here? Well, he said about his presence with us most convincingly and most thoroughly in John chapters 14, 15, and 16, when he was talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would come and bring the very presence of Jesus to us, mediate, if you will, if we could say it that way, the very presence of Jesus. I was thinking, uh, I was not present the other night when the Red Sox came back from a 7 nothing deficit to win that game. I wasn't at Fenway. I was sad that I wasn't. I don't even know if they were playing at Fenway. They may have been in Tampa, which would be a horrible place to play when you could play at Fenway. But anyway, I, but I wasn't there. But it was mediated to me through media, through the television. I was sort of there. I, I sort of had the presence of that place mediated to me. It wasn't as good as being there. It was a face-to-face kind of thing. I didn't have a hot dog. But uh, it, 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 it came to me. I knew what was going on. I had the presence, if you will, in, in some sense of that game. The Spirit of God, you see, the Holy Spirit comes to mediate, as a media, to mediate a medium, to bring to us the very presence of the Father, the very presence of the Son. So by His Spirit, Jesus is here with us. Not in His corporal reality. We don't see His body. We don't touch Him. We don't feel Him. But He's present with us by His Spirit. The Spirit brings the very presence of Jesus to us. So He's in heaven in that sense, ruling and reigning and interceding for us, and at the same time with us by way of, uh, of His Spirit. So then the question is, where, when do we get to go and be with him? When do we get to go be with him and, and, and be in his very presence and see his glory? Well, one answer to that is, when we die. When we die, we, we go into the very presence of the Lord. In Philippians and chapter 1, Paul is, 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 is agonizing, really, uh, over his love for the people to whom he ministers, especially in the church of Philippi in that context, but also his desire to be with the Lord. And, and he, he lines it out like this in Philippians in chapter 1, um, in verse uh, 21. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And so you get this sense that Paul realizes that he could be either here or there. He could be either here in the presence of people, or there, in heaven if you will, in the presence of the Lord Jesus. Uh, he speaks of this more thoroughly in 2 Corinthians and chapters 4 and 5. Turn, if you have a Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. I just want to read a little bit and lay this out for you. 
The context is in the end of chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, and then the guts of it is in chapter 5, 1 through 10. The, the context is not losing heart. The context is it's having the courage and the strength to continue on following after Christ. Verse 16 of chapter 4. So we do not lose heart, though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. Okay, that's outer nature. Get it? Our bodies are dying on us all the time. And we see that some more than others. Uh, our outer nature is wasting away. Our inner nature, however, our soul within us, is being renewed day by day. For this slight and momentary affliction, whatever persecution, difficulty these folks are facing, for this slight and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So he's, he's taking our eyes, right, away from our present situation and our bodies that are wasting away, and he's putting them on that which God is doing at work in us to renew our souls and then telling us that a day is going to come when all of this will be worthy to be compared to what we will know then, this eternal weight, this great weight of glory. That's beyond all comparison. Verse 18. As we look uh, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. 4, verse 5, verse 1 begins, chapter 5, verse 1 begins with the word 4. That's connecting the two together. For we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, all right? So you get the sense that Paul's kind of speaking poetically here, figuratively here. He's talking about an earthly home, which is our tent. So you get this sense, it's not our house, it's not our church building. It would be our bodies, that, that tent, this earthly home that we have. It's destroyed when, when it's destroyed. But we also know that coming is a house that's not made with hands, but yet eternal in the heavens. He's already written to them, 1 Corinthians, we call it, chapter 15, which talks about an imperishable, incorruptible body that is to come. So, again, you get the sense he's talking about that. Verse 2, for in this tent, that is our bodies, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. So, we would rather have this imperishable body. We look at our bodies, we feel our bodies, we understand what's going on in them, and they're, they're, they're being... Uh, they're wasting away and so we groan to have this new imperishable body for in this tent we groan longing to put on our heavenly dwelling if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked Paul what are you talking about well without a body that's naked to Paul without a body Uh, so we have this body we're going to get that body and we really like that body but we don't want to be naked because why we're human beings we're body people. <laughs> we're not just souls, but we're bodies. So to be complete as a human being, we're, we're body and soul. We're material and immaterial. All of that together. So Paul is saying, you know, I really groaning to be out of this body. I want to be in that one, but I don't really want to be naked. Or naked, excuse me. Verse 4. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we, we, we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So he's saying, we, we, we don't want to leave this body so that we can be disembodied spirits. 
We're human beings. We want to leave this body and get the body that is to come, this imperishable body. Uh, so that's not why we're groaning. We're not groaning to be out of this body thinking this body is the only evil thing on this earth, the evil thing about us. It isn't the material that's bad. And so he's saying that's not why we want this. Verse 6. So we're always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yet, yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. So he's saying, in a rather convoluted way, that there are three stages, if you will, for lack of a better term, existence for us. One is in this body, two in the imperishable body, and three in this in-between state. And he says, best case scenario is have the imperishable body. Next best is to be in the presence of the Lord. Outside of this body, but in the presence of the Lord. Third best is, well, this one. And it isn't our choice which one of those existences we have at any point in time. It's God's choice. But he's just saying, when we're out of this body, we're in the presence of the Lord. But what we really desire is to be in the presence of the Lord with the imperishable body. I say all that to say that in one sense... At our death, at the death of the believer, we enter into the very presence of the Lord. And we see Him, and we see His glory, but that's not all it. There's still more to come. Turn to Revelation in chapter 6. And I know when I say that, everybody starts getting nervous, including me. But I just want to show you something, and uh, just stick something in your head, and in mine as well. And when we come to the book of Revelation, much is symbolic and all of that, and I know that, and if you've heard me teach through this, you understand my appreciation for that symbolism. But yet on the other end, so we have to be careful not to take that which is symbolic to be, to be literal in that sense, and that which is literal to be symbolic, so we don't make those mistakes, and that's a difficult thing as we maneuver ourselves through this, uh, through this last book of the New Testament, last book of the Bible. But John sees a vision, and I think we have to take what he sees, obviously, seriously. And this is a a, a vision that John has. He's looking into present heaven, if you will. Uh, Verse 9, Revelation 6. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. So you get the sense that John is seeing people. He refers to them as souls. Um, There's a sense in which, uh, since Jesus has not yet made his return, uh, these aren't um, embodied, imperishable, bodied souls, but souls, as he puts it. Souls of those who had been slain for the word of God. Martyrs, it appears. Verse Verse 10. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little, a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Now, we don't. this seems to be a subset of all those souls that may be in glory at that particular time, in that particular vision. John isn't saying he saw everybody there, but he saw this particular group of people who had been martyred for their faith and ultimately uh, were told that, hang on, Others will be too, and they'll come and join you. 
Um, they were given robes and told to rest. But notice in the middle of that that this isn't this moment that they're experiencing in heaven isn't what we normally think we want to experience in heaven. Because on the one hand, the will of God is being done in heaven. It's always being done in heaven. It's always being done in heaven. That's why we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's always being done in heaven. There's no sin there. No one's sinning. All of their crying out is righteous and good. They're seeing God. They're having hope better than they had hope on the earth because they're in his very presence and, and all of that. But yet still, it isn't done. Still the consummation hasn't come. Still the, 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 the final, final hasn't happened. And they know it. And somehow they're aware of that. You can speculate whether or not these souls in heaven can see what's going on in the earth and all that. That's for another day. Actually, that's for another pastor. <laughs> but, but, you know, all those kinds of speculations. Um, when I'm up there doing this, then you can deal with that. Uh, but, uh, um, so whatever that means and however that takes place. But clearly, this isn't it. This isn't, this isn't everything that we desire. Something for them even though they're in heaven, is still yet to come. Now, I don't believe their joy is necessarily diminished, but it will be greater. In the same way that Jesus is joyful knowing what's going on and what he's done, and he's in heaven. God is joyful and content, and he is in heaven. But yet, it isn't all played out. It isn't all done yet. And so we know that this is just an intermediate step. There's something beyond that where we will be with Jesus forever and see his glory. The way the scripture describes that is the new heavens and the new earth. There's a sense in which the very presence of God, heaven, is combined with, joined in some way with earth so that the dwelling of God is with men. Isaiah the prophet speaks of it in Isaiah, for instance, chapter 65. In verse 17, just take this little snippet out. He says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. And then in uh, chapter 66 and verse 1, Again, we read, the earth is my throne, uh, heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Uh, But then in verse 22 of Isaiah 66, for as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. And we get a sense of this even earlier in Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 11. He doesn't explicitly state it as the new heavens and the new earth, but he tells us of a day that is to come, all because this one who comes, this Messiah, this one that comes from the root of Jesse. Verse 6 in Isaiah 11. The wolf shall shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and and the fatted calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down, down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. That just doesn't happen now, right? Not if you have a mom, right? Who cares? She sees you playing with the cobra. 
so something's going to change. Remarkably so, a day is going to come when the earth will be very different than it is today when kids can play with snakes like that. Uh, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be filled with shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that day the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the people of him shall the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious. And so we get that sense of, of that which is to come. Uh, the Apostle Peter speaks of this day as well in Second Peter in chapter 3. Now verse 11, now verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we're waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's this sense of the very presence of God on the earth. Lastly, this, at least in this part, Revelation 21, verse 1. Here's the, the consummation of that as the book of Revelation comes to its end as part of the holy canon, we see this description. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband, and heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. In other words... There's this joining of heaven and earth. Heaven is no longer over there and earth is no longer over here. But there's some sense when we talk about the new heavens and the new earth together that the presence of God, the dwelling of God, is with men. Jesus came in the incarnation, but he didn't stay that long. He sent a spirit. And so the spirit of God now mediates the very presence of God. But we can't see that. We know it. We can't see it. But Jesus said, I want you to be with me where I am and see my glory. And you get a sense that that's not a glimpse. You get a sense that that's not through a people. You get a sense that that's just not a once and done. You get a sense that that's a living in the very presence of Jesus and seeing his glory. Because his glory is the very glory of God. To see him is to see God. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians in chapter 4 and verse 6 of this. For God who said that light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, when we see the very face of Jesus, we see the very face of God. And we know that even now because this light has shown in us. The Holy Spirit has done this work and said, yes, Jesus is the one who's sent by God to see him as to see the Father. But yeah, we don't see him, see him. We believe in him. We trust in Him. We hold fast to Him. But we don't see Him. And He says, a day will come when you will see me. And notice what happens in the midst of all that. Verse 
3. They heard a voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The theologians of old called this the beatific vision. The word beatific means to see and be made happy. That's what it means. It means to see, and by what you see, be made happy. You see, this is the fulfilling. This is what our hearts have longed for. We may not know this. We may not put our finger quite on it. I mean, I mean, many of us thought, think, this isn't totally untrue. This isn't complete. Many of us think that what our souls longed for was forgiveness of sins. Oh, yes. It's a deep and abiding contentment, knowing that our sins are forgiven. What could be better than that? Well, well then we say... Our deep longing is to be conformed to the image of Christ, to grow the sanctification so that we, we find ourselves overcoming sin. And, and that's a great and deep satisfaction. You see, a great and deep satisfaction would be to worship God, to be able to walk into a place like this or other places like this and, 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 and get a sense of the presence of God and, and to sing that which is true about Him and to hear that which is true about Him. And it just thrills our souls. And, and others think, yes, what's, what's great in the height of all of this is to take this message and to give it to someone else and watch their lives being transformed. What could be greater than that? And the answer is seeing Jesus. All of these are precursors. All of these are part of that. All of these are pieces of that. All of these are parts of that. But they're not that. Exactly. And what we learn is the very longing of our souls is to see Him. We experience this some in relationships with people who've I've been excuse me when I've been, <clears throat> I shouldn't do this. When I've been traveling, <clears throat> it thrills my soul to see my wife. To come home. So I'm not even going to look at her right now. <laughs> right? <clears throat> you know that. I mean, there's, there's something about that. You go, yes. I, I can't wait. This, this, this makes me happy just for this moment. And it, you know, I mean, it's not an eternal happiness. We have our troubles. But, I mean... <laughs> There's another trip. There's another coming back. That's all good. But, um, you know, my grandson's here this week. I mean, it's great to see. It's great to see your kids. And we know that in some sense, to see a friend that you haven't seen for a while and you have a plan to see them and, and there's this longing that builds up. I can't wait to see them. You know when you see their face, for that moment, there's going to be a certain measure of joy that you can't have otherwise. And it doesn't even compare to this. It's just a glimpse and this longing within us, St. Augustine, there's this emptiness, this void, this vacuum in us that can only be satisfied by Christ. And we think of that. And we think, yes, forgiveness of sins, and yes, what we have now, and yes, what we see of them in the eye of faith. But we have to keep reminding ourselves that while this is great, it's nothing to be compared to that which is to come. That's the longing of our soul. That's the completion of our whole lives. 
in him. And it's not simply only that we see him, but then we see everything in him, through him, by him. We see in this place everything that reflects him. And so no matter what we look at, while it isn't Jesus, it reflects him. It reflects his perfection. We say, yes, that's exactly the way that stone is supposed to be. I saw stones. I've seen rocks. They're really cool and magnificent. But but this rock reflects Jesus in a way. And this relationship now reflects Jesus. I see that. That's satisfying. And I see. And I see him. So, of course, every tear will be wiped away. There will be nothing that will bring sadness. Nothing that will bring sadness. We, we caught those souls under the altar in Revelation chapter 6. And, and again, I don't really know how to describe all that because I don't know what that's going to be like exactly compared to what this is going to be like. So language fails me. All I know is there was some distress there. There was some, Lord, how long is it going to be? And, and you could say it was distress for those on earth who were suffering as they had suffered or it was distress because the glory of God wasn't filling the earth as the waters covered the sea. How long is it going to be until you vindicate yourself? There won't be any of that because he will have vindicated himself. There won't be any distress. We'll see everything. Everything by way of his reflection will be in his very presence. There will be nothing to bring sadness. So whatever it is that brings sadness in your life, uh, there will be none of that. And that's what it will be. There won't be any fear. There won't be any anxiety. There won't be any worry. There won't be any disease. There won't be any loss. That's what will be in his very presence. And as we look into his face, that will satisfy everything Everything in us. Well, given that, now what? I mean, we're still here. <laughs> here we sit. So, so now what? A couple of things. Number one, this should be our very hope. I mean, we sh- this should be our very hope. I mean, the truth of the matter is, there's tons of stuff to cry about. There's lots of things that legitimately should distress us. There's no way to watch the news. There's no way to read the newspapers. There's no way to talk about each other's lives with each other without feeling various pangs of distress. We experience loss. We experience trouble. We share fear together in the context of our lives. Right now, we're sharing great fear politically because of of a war going on. We share fear politically because of who's going to win this election, our guy or the other guy, and all of that. We we have that anxiety about that. We have anxiety about the economy, for sure. We have anxiety about our retirement as we see it go down the toilet. We see see all kinds of trouble financially looming. Is this going to be another depression like it happened before, as some are saying? Is it not? How long is this going to last? We're distressed by way of relationships in our families, with children, with parents, uh, with friends. We see it in our own bodies as they deteriorate and break down and we suffer disease. We experience loss. It's all kinds of things that make us cry. Our hope has to be, must be. The day really is going to come when all of this will be made right and there will be no crying at all. That hope must sustain us. That must be the very thing that we look to. That's what Paul said. Even though outwardly we're, we're being wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed. What's that renewal? That renewal is that a day is 
coming. When I go into a hospital room and I see somebody laying in that bed who's suffering or who is unconscious even or in a coma perhaps or maybe facing death soon, that's what goes through my mind. No matter what it looks like right now, if they, if they are a believer in Christ, he's at work inside them, renewing them to see him. That's their hope. That's my hope for them. That moment in time. It should be our hope, you see. The day really is going to come like that. That should enable us to keep breathing. That should enable us to keep saying in the midst of this life. Secondly, this. And we read this this morning uh, as part of our affirmation of faith. So, so you already affirmed you believe this. In 1 John in chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world doesn't know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. Okay, you get what he's saying there. We belong to God, we're his children. But yet, we haven't seen it all. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. Alright? That's the return of Jesus. That's when he comes. We're going to see him as he is. And we're going to be made like him. Now, R.C. Sproul, in a very interesting article, asked this question. Will we see him because we will be like him? Or will we be like him because we see him? And the answer, of course, is yes. Um, All of that is true. We'll be able to see him because we'll be like him. What keeps us from seeing him now? Well, because he's there, we're here, we can't see spirit. But also our sin. Remember when... um, Moses wanted to see the glory of God. Show me your glory. God said, hmm, I'll hide you here. Cover your eyes. I'll get by you fast and I'll proclaim my name and you'll see my back, my back. But not my face, not my front. Lest you die. Blessed are the pure in heart. They'll see God. It takes a purity of heart to see God, really. At that moment in time when we see him and are like him, we'll be pure and we'll see him purely. But the very look upon him will be the transforming moment of our very lives. So we'll see him, be like him. Not God like him, we won't be deity, but we'll be like him as he is in his humanity that is pure, cleansed, that is holy, that is righteous, that is one who lives to do the will of God and is able. Then this verse, verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him, that is, hopes in Jesus, purifies himself as he is pure. What does that mean? It means if you want to be like him, then get on with it now. If you want to be like him, don't wait till then. If that's really your heart's desire, if you're saying, oh, I want to be like Jesus, I want to be without sin, then, then, then put sin to death by the Spirit, the Scripture says. Get on with it now. If that's really your heart's desire, get on with it now. The kid comes to me and says, I want to be a baseball player when I grow up. You know what I should be seeing him do? I should see him be playing baseball. That's really what he wants. I remember when I was in seminary, I was with a bunch of some guys, and they would say they wanted to be pastors. And I would say, what kind of ministry are you doing now? And they said, well, I'm not doing any ministry now. I'm just going to school. And I said, how, if you really want to be a pastor, how can you not do ministry now? You should be getting B-minuses because you're so busy. 
doing stuff because that's really your heart. How can you put that on hold if that's so much who you are and your desire? Don't put holiness on hold till you get there, till you see Him. If that's really your heart's desire, purify yourself. Now, that doesn't mean pull yourself up by your bootstraps and purify yourselves. I mean, God, depend upon God in this. He says, set your heart to be pure before Him. And then finally this. But this must be the very longing of our souls. To see Him. I don't know how much time you spend thinking about seeing Him. Uh, I know I don't think I spend enough time thinking about seeing Him. I spend a lot of time trying to think about how to get through this morning, this afternoon, tomorrow. Just give me enough whatever to get... And he said, no, 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 I want you to kick back, I want you to think about me, and I want you to long to see me. Because he said, this is my desire. And you know, the desire of Jesus is the perfect desire, the pure desire, the right desire. He says, this is my desire, that you're with me, and that you see my glory. Let's pray. Father. I pray for me and for us that that would be the longing of our hearts, that we would long, Father, to see you in Jesus. Father, I pray that we wouldn't be satisfied with things as is, but God, that we would work in our own lives to see heaven happen here. In our own lives, your very presence with us to purify us that we bring that which is your will here, even as we pray, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, that we would see mercy happen here because we know that you're merciful, that we would see justice happen here because we know that you're just, that we would see righteousness happen here because we know that you're righteous, we would see kindness happen here because we know that you're kind. We know, Father, that all of this will be reflected in this dwelling place. So, Father, be with us. Enable us to live here as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Father, I pray for those who are doing missions that that would be uh, the very longing of their souls to see you and to walk with you. And for Megan Megley, Father, she ministers uh, with the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Uganda. Be with her, Father. For Matt and Corey Podza, as they minister here with navigators on the campus of the University of Kansas, I pray for Marcus Brooks, Father, as he travels the world with crusade, showing this film of Jesus. Father, I pray for Judy Jensen as she recovers from her hip surgery. I pray for, I give you thanks for caring for Delbert this week as he underwent that uh, surgical procedure and you were with him and and he's with us this morning, so thank you for restoring him. I pray that this procedure blesses, protects his body. For us, Father, as a church, that we would be a church known to long to see Jesus. And that longing would be reflected in all that we do. And this I pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. Please stand for the benediction. As you do, I remind you that there are elders available to pray in the office area, so please take advantage of that on your way to, uh, to Sunday school. I remind you about our time together this Wednesday.